Welcome to the weekend edition of the Daily Dad Podcast. During the week, we give you a daily meditation drawing on ancient wisdom, giving you timeless advice to help you with your most important job, being a parent. And then on the weekends, I have sort of a wrap-up conversation with my friend, fellow dad, and writing partner, Niels Parker. We just explore what's going on in our lives, what we're struggling with as parents, what we're doing well, what we want to do better, and what we've learned along the way, and what we've learned in the last week. And here we go. Hey, man, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Good. I was thinking about that post that we did uh, for Daily Dad earlier this week. I thought it was a good one. It was like, don't let a bad day affect being a good father. I was just curious what, what that meant to you. You know, that's that's one of those things where it is very easy when your day starts out poorly or things start to stack up on themselves for you to get lost in the difficulty of daily existence and to get wrapped up in the narrative of victimhood or get start to sort of connect back this string of hardships over the previous days or weeks or months, whether they are real or imagined. And if you, even if you're not wallowing, that energy starts to accumulate and that time starts to accumulate. And before you know it, you have ignored either literally or figuratively your role as a father or as a parent. And that energy that could have been directed toward teaching your child or even just being with them. And the irony, of course, is that if you had taken even 20% of that energy and applied it towards spending meaningful time with your kid, it could have broken this cycle of misery that was making your day bad to begin with. We are very quick to get lost in our own narratives and very, and it's a very dangerous place to be where no matter what your intentions are, have negative uh, externalized consequences onto your kids. So you have to be, you have to be mindful of the fact that, you know, the bad day might be your bad day, but you can't make it a bad day for, for your kid. You can't, you, you have to avoid doing that because they're going to internalize that negativity that wasn't even theirs in ways that they don't even understand that will have even longer term consequences. I can think of all these, like, like, do you remember? So this is funny. We were at, we were, we, we drove to Arizona from Texas and my wife's in-laws or my wife's parents or my in-laws drove from California so we could both sort of get there with minimal exposure. And then we stayed in a house for a week or two and, and, and spend some time together. And, and there was one day I was recording something and our house in Texas, our garage is not attached. This is a weird detail, but it'll make sense. And so I was sitting there recording. They had left to go do something. Like they went for a walk and then they came back when I was done. And I was sitting on the couch, like on my computer and I heard the garage door opening and I had this like sinking feeling in my stomach. Like it hit me and I was like, whoa, where did that come from? And then I realized growing up uh, when we moved, uh, I moved maybe in like eighth grade, ninth grade, my room was right next to the garage. And so I could hear the garage open when my parents came home from work or the store or whatever. And I had like almost a Pavlovian response of one, like, am I doing anything that I don't want anyone to see? And yeah. then two, <laughs> two uh, what am I going to get in trouble for? 
right? Like what, like, like it was like an immediate negative reaction to like someone's home. I'm probably going to get criticized for something. Someone's going to bring up that my shoes are laying and, you know, like clean up your room, like blah, blah, blah. And hearing you talk about this, it's what strikes me is like, they probably had a shitty day at work and they were coming home from work. And instead of realizing they were having a shitty day at work, the shitty energy just went into our house. And, and this, like I had a, a uh, I'm not trying to make it sound like I had some abusive childhood. It was a, mostly a happy childhood, but there was clear, like, I think all kids can relate to that idea of like the energy that comes into the house when mom or dad comes home from work or from the DMV or, you know, any negative experience in the world. And they're bringing that home with them. They're bringing it home and they're allowing it to color the home to such a degree, especially if they do it chronically, that all of a sudden a shitty day at work becomes a shitty day at home, becomes a shitty week at home, becomes a shitty life. And it's, yeah. And you never escape it. And, you know, I think one of the things that, that COVID has stripped away from, from sort of working parents is the gap between the work day and the home day. Like if, if you know, if you're doing it right, you can use the drive home from from the office to sort of decompress and to sort of leave the stressors of work behind. I mean, that's a very maybe Pollyanna-ish perspective, especially when you consider how much people watch, you know, listen to talk radio on their drive home to just get them more pissed <laughs> off. But it's this cycle of negativity and misery that is up to you to break. Like kids, your, your child's not going to break it. And they don't know. Right. So, so like if I have a shitty day at work and I come home and I'm, and I've told my wife throughout the day, like this is obviously before COVID, but if I've been communicating to my wife, what's happening or vice versa, then when the person is behaving in a certain mood, you understand that and you give them space because you're an adult and you're able to go, this is a person, they normally behave this way, but this change of circumstances happened. So they are temporarily different and I'm going to make it better for them or not make it worse for them. But your kid doesn't understand, e- even if they're a teenager, as I, like I was telling you, like that my situation, I mostly would have picked up that Pavlovian response as a teenager. It, I'm so, a teenager is so selfish. They can't conceive that you were just gone for eight hours a day getting reamed at, you know, <laughs> you know, like they, they, they're just like, why are my shoes so important to my dad, right? Like all they're thinking is like, why is he being such an asshole to me? It must be me. You know what I mean? So the the effects of it are so profound. If you can't control your moods, like I have a problem, like I wake up, it doesn't matter if I slept for like 10 hours. I never wake up like feeling good, like whatever. It takes me a while to like wake up, right? And so like, that's something I'm trying to be conscious of is like, I can't like vomit that shitty energy on a kid. Like they don't go like, oh, dad, dad just needs, you know, coffee, although I don't drink coffee, but you know what I mean? Like the kid isn't able to, to contextualize this. All they can feel is the energy and it's overwhelming and, and they can't even communicate to you how it's making them feel. And what's, I think what people really don't understand is how, how long through childhood they are incapable of articulating, you know, that kind of thing. And like in my, my mom and my sister 
have this ongoing battle from when my sister was, I don't know, 13 to 19 about dishes under chairs. Like it, it sounds crazy, but like, you know, she would sit on these, these sort of wing back chairs in the living room and she would have a snack or she would, you know, have a soda and she would put the, the dirty dish under the seat, under the chair. <laughs> right. she, she would leave it there. And my sister had depression issues and anxiety issues. And she had a, you know, she, she, she had difficulty when she was a teen and she was stewing and living in that, in that sort of depressive state for a long time, a lot of it undiagnosed. And my mom as a single mom would come home from work where she didn't ever get reamed out, but she, you know, she would be out of the house at five 30 and she would be back at five 30. And she, you know, she prided herself in being very productive and, you know, life hadn't been working out the way she necessarily would have uh, dreamed of it working, but she, we had a nice house in a great suburb with good schools. And she just wanted to walk in the front door and not see dirty dishes under the chair. And my sister fought her tooth and nail for, for years. And it would, it would sour my mother's energy and put her into a funk for the rest of the day, the rest of the evening. So during the waking hours when she was home from the time when I was basically 16, 15 or 16 to the time I left, there were very few evenings where it was like, ah, this great family time. It, It was just steeped in unspoken anger, sometimes spoken anger, depression, anxiety. And my mom could have, could have done something about it, but she just didn't have, she didn't have the tools and she didn't know what to do or how to do it. And my sister is going to turn 40 this year and they're still talking about it. It, It's still unresolved. Right. I can't imagine what the last 25 years of their relationship has been like with that little nugget, just sort of like a, like a pebble in the shoe, always there. Yeah. My, my wife says something to me. Sometimes it's been a good thing in our relationship. This isn't quite related to like, you had a shitty day, but it's, she goes like, what's more important, this or the relationship? Cause each time you decide to make a huge deal out of the plates under the chair, you're choosing the plates under the chair at the expense of the relationship. Not like, you know, it's not an ultimatum choice, but it's like, you're saying that talking about this thing is more important than the peace or more important than the opportunity to connect or more important than, you know, any other thing that you could be talking about instead. And, and so especially as a parent, because you have the authority, like, you know, in relationships with a spouse or a partner, you're like equal. So you're like, hey, could you please not do that? Right. Or like, hey, I thought you said you were going to do X or, you know, hey, what's up with this? Or, but with a kid, you're like, I told you not to put your shoes here. And and, And so you're choosing to assert your authority over this thing at the and and then you wonder yeah why 40 years later you guys don't have the relationship that you want it's cuz you repeatedly throughout their childhood over and over and over again chose things that were not that important you know like we try to think about this with our kids like like you know they'll draw on the walls or they'll do something and then, and it's like 
there's a part of me that has this sort of middle-class energy, lower middle-class energy that's like, that's going to cost whatever to fix. Or like, now the house isn't going to look at night as nice. And then I have to go, but I'm not lower middle-class. And I also don't care that there's cram on the wall of the garage. Like, you know what I mean? But I, I'm making it an issue because I think I'm supposed to make it an issue or I'm making it an issue because it's something obvious that I can focus on instead of the bigger things that I'm dealing with in my own life. And what I'm doing is I'm choosing that conflict over a positive relationship with my kids. Yeah. It's, it's funny. My sister made the same exact point that your wife made, like not just sort of at the end of her time living in that house, but also even when it comes back up and it gets relitigated when they're, when she was an adult, she would say, you know, what was more important, those freaking plates or me and what I was going through. And my mother's response was that the plates were a microcosm of the relationship itself. Right. Giant she, eye roll. She, <laughs> yeah, she, they are emblematic of the fact that you don't respect the, my rules in the house. You don't care enough to do something that is important to me. Like, and it, they would just go around in circles talking, talking past each other. And there was never an instinct or probably even a capacity for my mom to find something else to be the microcosm of the relationship. Like you can, yeah. she could have reframed that if she wanted to, or if she was capable, it didn't, she didn't have to define her entire mother daughter relationship with her teen, her struggling teen daughter by her daughter's absolute depressive refusal to put her plates in the dishwasher. Seriously. It, it could have been a dozen different things. My sister's very funny. She's creative. She's smart. You know, she, she loves to cook. Like she's got things. She's got things that she, my mom could have hung her hat on and she just never chose to take that, take any one of those options. What's funny, like even my kid, my, my oldest has trouble understanding that I don't care. <laughs> right. So like, like he'll like, he'll drop something or like, I'll hear that his brother's crying and you know, or draw on the wall and be like, who drew on the wall? And, and, you know, he'll be like, I don't want to get in trouble or something. I'll say that. And, and my wife goes, when have you ever gotten in trouble? You're four <laughs> years old. You've never gotten in trouble. We've gotten mad at you like three times in your whole life. And, and we have to go like, we don't care. We just want to know what happened. So we can find like, it's like, did you knock your brother over because there was some miscommunication? And then let's talk about that. Did you do something mean and hurt your brother? Did Or did your brother just fall over because he's 18 months old and then cries as if this is something that someone had done to him? Or by the way, did something fall and hit him and now he's hurt and we need to know about that, right? It's like, we're, we're and so we're like, we don't care. We just want to know what happened. And I think that is an attitude. Like, think about that with your with your mom. Like, if she if they could have gotten to a place where they went, why do you keep doing this? Like, is it an issue? Is it that you like, like why? Because and it sounds like the root of it was like, 
well, I'm horribly depressed yes, and I, exactly. and I, and I, I don't have the energy to do it. It's like, oh, okay, this is a problem that there's a, a medical, a psychological, a lifestyle solution to, and in fact has nothing to do with the plates. And we've been arguing about the symptoms. Meanwhile, you're sick. Yeah. And which, you know, not to go too far down the, uh, the Germanic rabbit hole, but there's something uniquely German about that experience. For, you know, it's where you don't, she could have asked, you know, why do you keep doing this? And the answer would have been, I'm depressed. And the irony is Germans don't talk about anything unless it's negative, unless the negative thing is how you feel. <laughs> if it's your feelings that that doesn't get discussed. So it ends up being this steely, silence that creates this gap between you and your parent or you and your your yeah. child that as the years go by seems absolutely unbridgeable even if you have now the language and and the volume to shout it across the chasm you'll never actually bridge it no it's it's i think it's it's so important it's just like look like when you enter your house, when you come home, like you've been, you went, you ran to the store, you uh, are coming home from work, whatever it is, you come in their room. What's the energy you're bringing? Are you bringing good energy or bad energy? Are you taking the shit? Like, it's like, think about, like, I think that's the other thing I've learned from COVID. It's like, oh man, like, I would go out in the, like, I would drive to Austin, fly to Cincinnati, give a talk, fly home through this airport, blah, blah, blah. I was bringing disgusting germs into our house all the time, right? Of course we were all getting sick. I mean, my kid was bring our kids bring in, would bring in disgusting germs from daycare, but I was going out in the world, but I was just like, my wife would, my wife would go like, why did you put your suitcase on our bed? And I'm like, well, I had to get, I had to get stuff out of it. She's like, you just dragged this through an airport. You wheeled it into an airport bathroom and then you put it on my bed. Like, what's wrong with you? You know, and and like, so you're not, you don't think about the germs that you're bringing into your into your bubble, your house. And I think we should also think about that in terms of energy and emotions. Like, are you when your kids hear that garage going up, are they like, "Dad's home." Or they're like, fuck, we better turn off dad's the TV. Home. Dad's yeah. home. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dad's like, yay, dad's home. Or, oh, shit, dad's home. Mm-hmm. You know, you, as the dad, you definitely have the power to affect which one of those responses you, your presence generates. And I I think about that a lot as a as someone who works from home. Like, sure. I, don't, I don't have an external office. I have I have an office at home. And for the last... We just moved into a house. For the last 10 years, I've been living in a condo where my office has doubled for three different things. Like it was a guest room. It was also where extra clothes was. It was also, it also became the changing table. Well, we moved into a house and I have an office that is dedicated just to my stuff. There's no extra purpose to it. And so when I, when I, open that door and f sort of finish for the day, I've tried to be very conscious of, of shifting the energy and like taking like one long deep breath before I walk down the hall and, and make eye contact either with my wife or see, see the baby. Because I, it's very easy to, you know, if you had 
if I had a less than productive day writing or if I had frustrating emails or phone calls, the germs of those calls stick to the baggage that I bring through that door if I don't make the point of sort of wiping them down and leaving them in, in the office behind me. Totally. No, it's it's because uh, sometimes I'll work from home instead of going to the office. And my wife's like, I know you think you're like being nice by staying, but like sometimes it's better for you to go because like now you're just here, but you're not actually here. You know what I mean? She's like, you're standing, you're, you're, you're in the kitchen, you're in the house, but you're only half here. And it's almost weirder than if you just went, did your stuff and then came home. Yeah. And I've had that problem if I've got, if I've fallen behind or if I have, if I've got sort of stuff that came out of nowhere and started to stack up, my wife has started to say like, go to a hotel for two days and get caught up on the, on the stuff that is, is holding you back. Because not only am I half there and half not there, the half that is there is vibrating at a frequency that is not productive to anybody. No, that's, that's right. And, and uh, yeah, it's like, if you're going to be here, be here. And if you're going to be here, why don't you be positive, a positive source of energy as opposed to a negative one? Yeah. And it's very easy. It's very easy to slip into the, that negative script when it feels like either you can't do anything right, or you can't get your head fully above water. It feels like you're drowning because of, you know, work responsibility or life responsibility. And it will make you, it will, it will put you in that place where you are here, but not here. And, and I think like we have less of an excuse, right? Like we're not a coal miner, you know, we're not, we're not a, uh, you know, we're not, we're not even a police officer today, right. Is not the same as, is not having to see the same awfulness as a police officer a hundred years ago, right? Like, like all of these things have gotten nicer and safer and better. And so the idea that you're just like, that, that you get to get away with what your parents or grandparents got away with, it to me just doesn't fly. You know what I mean? Like you don't get to, you don't get to come in here with that energy because we've made so many improvements there. There's, it's so much softer to, no. to yeah. Not only that, and this is my own sort of theory that I feel like has has backing somewhere. I just have to find it. Is like on top of all that, unlike our parents and grandparents and their parents, we are not existing inside this massive immediate existential threat. Like there's right. no world war. There's no, you know, we're not on the brink of nuclear holocaust. Like we, right, the, what, how we felt in the pandemic—that was the status quo for decades. Not just during, let's say, the Cold War, but like they used to have these pandemics all the time. Yes, they. Not only did they used to have pandemics all the time, but science and medicine were at such a place where anything that came came through the atmosphere could kill a firstborn child or grandma in a matter of days out of nowhere. Like no, we were, we were talking about this. It's like, we were saying like, you know, there's so much, so, ex so much expectations as far as Christmas goes, like it's gotta be a happy Christmas, but then you also don't want to spoil them. Just all the pressures of parents on Christmas. And I was like, and she's like, you know, we're talking about this late at night before. And I was like, sure. But a hundred years ago, we would have been talking about 
how hopefully Timmy doesn't die of smallpox. You know, like like we're yes, there's a lot on parents these days, but the the scepter of death is so much less. And what existential dread and terror that must have that that's why dad would come home from work at the factory and then go straight to the bar and drink all night and then come home. Totally. A, you know, it was awful. Totally. And the uh, you mentioned Christmas. The irony there to me is like, do you know how sad most Christmas songs are? Like, I'll Be Home for Christmas was written in 1943 because it was written from the perspective of a soldier who wasn't going to come home. Right. Like, Christmas songs, there's – don't read if you if you don't want to get sad during Christmas. Don't read the lyrics to half the Christmas songs out there. They're not, it's not a it's not a happy experience because because of exactly what you're talking about. Totally. Well, I think that's a good lesson for today's, which is you can't you can't bring bad energy into the house. You got to worry about the the germs you're bringing home, and you got to realize that they have no conception of what's going on in your life, and it's completely unfair to make that their unspoken problem yeah absolutely you you can have a bad day but you can't affect let a bad day affect you from being a good dad love it all right man appreciate it yep absolutely hey guys look we're all trying to be better parents and that's why we designed the daily stoic parenting challenge it's 10 commandments based on the best in stoic wisdom, stories from history, literature, all of that to inspire you to do your most important job a little bit better. I'm really proud of this thing. I think you'll get a lot out of it. Go to dailystoic.com slash parent and join us in the Daily Stoic Parenting Challenge and uh, let's get better together. <laughs>